Remarkable accomplishments are happening every day on the Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College campuses, from faculty instruction and research to student projects and community involvement. CMU Now is a new monthly segment on the KAFM Community Affairs Hour, where we will interview faculty, athletic coaches, and students to keep you up to date on all things CMU and WCCC. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host, David Ludlam, and we'll have three guests on the show today, starting with Mo LeMay, who is with um, our Department of Theater Art. So welcome, Mo. How are you doing today? It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule, especially right before school is starting to come down. It's kind of crazy. They're showing up. I know. I cannot believe that summertime is already over. I can't either. I had a great summer, but I'm ready to get back at it. Great. So we kind of wanted to start off the show today um, chatting with you a little bit about your upcoming season for theater and dance. Um, It is the 50th anniversary of the building that you guys are housed in. And I know that this year's season is going to be inquiry, discover and celebration. So can you talk to us a little bit about maybe where the inspiration for the season came from? Well, you you know, we've been in this uh, space now for 50 years and i have been thinking about 50 years in terms of human scale Mm -hmm. is a long time. Like a 50 year old building is a, is a space that's been occupied by, you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of patrons over the years Mm -hmm. and hundreds, maybe thousands of performers from people that have gone on now to Broadway, to people that are working all over the regional theater, to the young people that are coming in as freshmen now. So it has this kind of, it's imbued with this really rich uh, history. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to, you know, celebrate this time of five decades in a building um, trying to make magic. Yeah, I love that. I do too. And, you know, that kind of leads us into the question that I wanted to ask you. We, you talked about the inspiration uh, for the season, but walk us through a description of, of what we have in store this this year. Well, we're starting out with a musical that probably most people have not heard of called First Date. And um, you can imagine that it is about a first date. (laughs) And um, it explodes all the things that happen in a first date, mostly your one's own sort of neurosis about yourself, what you might say, all the, the things that you might think about the person you're with and the the misconceptions you might have. And so then... Other actors come out and recreate the fears and anxieties of the the two people that are on this date. So it's really, it's just absolutely charming, really fun. It would be a great um, first date. It would be a great uh, uh, date uh, show to come see. Really fun. As you as you talk about that, I'm reliving some of those experiences myself. So that'll be that'll be fun to go and, and check Everybody it out. I can't will, wait for the show. And it, it really does uh, get into some of your own um, neuroses. And, <laughs> That's great. And it's, it's really, really, really charming. Yeah, it makes me thankful that I am married, married now too, that I don't Absolutely. have to go through that anymore. <laughs> 
Um, well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs. And our first guest today is Mo LeMay, who is the head of the Department of Theater Arts. So you said we're going to kick off the season yeah, with so first I guess, date. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about this before, but we really have a somewhat romantic uh, fall season because the next show is Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. great Jane Austen novel, which has been adapted into really wonderful movies and um, if you like Jane Austen and you like Pride and Prejudice and Lizzie and you know Mr. Darcy trying to figure it out it's it is utterly charming Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm I'm a bit of a romantic myself so um, I'm particularly fond of that of that of, of that novel and of this adaptation of it which is really smart and really um, lyric and and uh, wonderful production mm-hmm. that our costume designer, Jill Van Brussel, is going to uh, direct. She directed 1776 last year, and she's so good that we thought we'd give her another chance at doing it. That's awesome. And then, too, going from First Date, which is kind of a show that maybe many people haven't heard of, then going to a pretty classic where I feel like a lot of audience goers will know They know will, that. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's how we're starting the season out. And then we're doing... It's kind of sticking with the idea of a 50-year theme and sort of st- sticking into the idea of tradition. We're going to do Fiddler on the Roof um, mm-hmm. in the spring. And uh, I think most people are probably familiar with that musical. Yeah. And um, I, I actually uh, just met and auditioned. I've, I hadn't met him. I had met him before, but um, I've decided that uh, Lee Borden is going to play Tevya. Um, and we just had an audition this morning i think lee's been on the show many times and um he's uh he's done i think he's performed the part something like 400 times oh jeez! and so it is deeply embedded into his uh psyche and we had a, a probably an hour and a half long conversation just about some of the themes and you know it starts out with this idea of tradition and then it as Tevyev, you know and his family are or forced out through the Russian program, um, his he has a much more complicated relationship with uh, God and with his own traditions, and and I think that's why the musical has uh, has power and continues to be done year after year. Mm-hmm. So Mo, I've seen him play that role twice myself at two different stages in my in my life, and it, yeah. it's overwhelmingly powerful. Yeah. What is it about him as a as a as a local actor and a character that is so attractive and makes him channel that character so well? Well, you know, I've never seen him act before, and so I was sitting in a little room in in the art gallery over here, and it was a very um, it was almost like it was a very hard surfaced room, unlike this studio, and so he was sort of exploding out of this room. He he really has a lot of power. He's very charismatic. Uh, because he's done the role so many times, um, he understands it really well, and it's very detailed. But um, what was fun is I we suggested a few ideas, and uh, he was just able to run with different ideas that he'd tried before, which was, was really great. Great. And so um, you've already talked about we've got First Date and then Pride and Prejudice. Then we're doing Fiddler on the Roof. And how yeah. are you guys rounding out rounding out this year's season? We're doing this play called The Wolves, um, which is about an all-high school soccer team, all-girls um, high school soccer team. And it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2016. It's a fantastic play. Um, we had the students read it last semester, and they were so excited about doing it that we just decided we had to do it because it deals with 
a lot of um, issues that uh, young women are are dealing with, um, and then broadens out to global issues that are women, young women are dealing with, and it's very very powerful play. Great. Well, we're already kind of getting to the end of our time yeah. with you. This always goes by super oh. quick. Well, I've got one more question. Okay, for one him, more Kate. question. <laughs> Go ahead, David. And I'm just curious. I, I be, I'm a sentimentalist. I know which one's my favorite. But what are you looking forward to most this season? If you had to pick one, maybe. Well, I'm. I, I just want to mention also we have two dance concerts that I just want to stick in there. And one of the things I'm really excited about is we we're bringing back a choreographer and a faculty member named James Wallace who worked for CMU four years ago. And some of the stuff that he choreographed was still is stuck in my mind because it was it's so visually compelling. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do this year. Great. 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 All right. Well, we want to thank you again, Mo, for coming on yeah. the show today and letting thanks the KFM listeners know what's coming up with the new theater and um, dance season. So thanks for joining us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our second guest. Welcome back to CMU Now, a monthly show where we talk about the remarkable things happening at Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College. We'd like to welcome our second guest, Instructor of History, Tim Weingard. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on the show today. Of course. Thank you. So we kind of have a big deal to talk about with you today. We've got your new book that was just recently released, The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator. So I guess I kind of want to start off today with what was the inspiration behind this book and behind this topic? Because... It's obviously very relevant to all of humankind, but maybe not a topic many people would think about on a regular basis here in Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, well, obviously, West Nile is pervasive here in Grand Junction, and mm-hmm. I talked to numerous students and faculty members who had, who had contracted West Nile over the years. Um, I look at history essentially as a puzzle, and it was just a matter of taking different puzzle pieces from different academic sources across a, a wide variety, a, a library of different academic fields, and slowly piecing the puzzle pieces together um, to create a picture and a larger puzzle um, where I could see the connections being made throughout history between mosquito-borne diseases and very important turning points, wars, or events uh, across our existence. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, you know, Dr. Weingard, uh, one of the things that uh, people know about your book, it's exciting that you have a global book tour. I think that that's something that not or few people accomplish. What does it feel like? Uh, to one day be teaching classes and, and, and publishing, and the next thing you're doing a world book tour. What does that feel like? Uh, I always thought I was going to be famous for anything. It would be playing hockey, but uh, <laughs> as a Canadian, you know, that was kind of the boyhood dream. But um, I think it's it's exciting. It's extremely surreal. Um, it, it's tiring, to be honest, and it's certainly very humbling at the same time. Um, parts of me, it feels like it's happening to somebody else and not necessarily me. And for people who know me, whether students or faculty or people around the community, I'm, I'm a small town Canadian boy and that, that's kind of how I behave a lot of the time as well. So, but it is very exciting and, and, you know, it's nice to see my, my hard work and many years of research and writing, um, 
pay off and come to fruition. Well, well, truly, congratulations. And 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 when you think about you, you mentioned researching when you were doing your research. Was there anything that surprised you? Was there something that you came across that you were not expecting that just sticks in your mind as an academic? Um, I think there's a personal connection to my wife's family. She went to CMU, was actually the editor of the Crite and born and raised in Grand Junction, um, dealing with her grandfather, um, who's also from Western Colorado. Now, he contracted malaria, um, one of numerous mosquito-borne diseases at Anzio and then at Dachau in the Second World War. And he, he knew he obviously had contracted malaria twice, but mm-hmm. didn't know why until I had told him in the spring of uh, 2017 in person. And I, I pulled back the curtains to, for him and his, his own family about his war experiences. So long story short, the Pontine Marshes surround Rome and head south towards Anzio were historically um, a malarial hotbed. And Mussolini drained the Pontine Marshes actually prior to the Second World War, uh, reducing malaria rates across Rome and Italy at large by more than 90%. It was actually quite an astonishing feat. So the Nazis purposefully reflood the Pontine Marshes as a deliberate act of biological warfare to weaponize malarious mosquitoes in and around Anzio. Um, and Rex Rainey, um, my wife's grandfather, contracted malaria at Anzio because of this biological warfare. And then later in the war, he contracts malaria when he and his unit are liberating the Dachau concentration camp. Now, Dachau was the head of the Nazi Tropical Medicine Research Program, so they were carrying out horrific experiments with malaria and yellow fever and certain drugs on Jewish prisoners. And he was bitten by one of these experimental mosquitoes and contracted malaria again. So it was just tying that all together for him, I think. And from a personal aspect, forget the words on the page. That's his. Per, that's his life and his family's life. And, and being able to kind of enlighten him about what happened uh, was gratifying. And of course, he was 96 and a stoic war vet. And after I told him this, he he looked at me very wryly and said, "Well, Tim, that makes sense." <laughs> and that was it. Went back to sipping on his after dinner scotch. That's an amazing story. <laughs> that is an amazing story. Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our second guest today is Instructor of History, Dr. Tim Weingard. Um, So are there any new treatments for malaria or new weapons against the mosquito? You know, you obviously delve into the history um, of mosquitoes and how it's affected human history, but are there any new kind of treatments or things that we should know about that come out of your book? Well, malaria is still, the mosquito is still the biggest killer of humanity on Mm -hmm. the planet, including humans. Humans are a distant second to to mosquito-borne diseases. Uh, Malaria has historically been the scourge of humankind and has tracked our evolution uh, it's been with us throughout our hominid evolution, certainly um, our relatively brief existence as Homo sapiens. So it, it's been the disease. It's a parasite, not a virus. So vaccines don't work in the traditional sense as they do for viruses, for example, for yellow fever, uh, which was also a paramount killer. A, vi- of a vaccine was unveiled in, in ni- the 1930s. So the, the life cycle of malaria is so complex, it's actually a magnificent, if you look at it as an animal, a magnificent creature and, and how it's able to evolve and adapt, mm-hmm. which is why it's been able to circumvent our best frontline weapons and drugs against it. It's just a remarkable creature, which is why it's such a still, paramount, uh, still such a paramount killer. Um, keep in mind that mosquitoes by themselves are harmless. It's mm-hmm. the pathogens they transmit or vector that cause the suffering, misery, and, and, and death. So CRISPR, gene editing technology, has made you know, a media storm and, and buzz since it was unveiled in 2012. Essentially what CRISPR can do is intrude on natural selection, 
um, by manipulating genomes and DNA within any animal, whether that be humans or mosquitoes. And it's actually quite fascinating and, and remarkable. Um, you know, Jurassic Park is no longer fiction. <laughs> um, so in regards to the mosquito, there's two options. Keep in mind that of the 3,500 mosquito species, the majority do not transmit or vector disease. So we're not, nobody's promoting the elimination of mosquitoes from the face of the planet. But targeting these specific vectoring species is to CRISPR mosquitoes to make their offspring infertile, sterile, or only male, thereby potentially bringing down that specific species. Mm-hmm. The other, other avenue would be to CRISPR mosquitoes to simply make them harmless by making them incapable of actually vectoring the specific pathogen or disease thereby bringing down that disease mm-hmm. without necessarily bringing down that mosquito species itself. There we go. Also, <laughs> you know, I was, I was just up on the Grand Mesa with my family and uh, this getting away from biology and maybe into some more of the fo- folklore around mosquitoes. Uh, somebody told one of my little girls that she's getting bitten more because she has brown hair. I mean, you hear all <laughs> kinds of things like these. Is there really any truth or behind these myths about why some people are bit and others aren't? Well, the, they like females over males, myth. They prefer blondes and redheads over people with darker hair, myth. They prefer pe- people with lighter skin as, composed, as compared to darker, more leathery skin, myth. However, there are some truths. <laughs> Unfortunately, 85% of, of what makes you alluring or less alluring to mosquitoes is pre-hardwired in your genetic oh, circuit board. And that Blood type <laughs> O is her vintage of choice over A or B or their blend. It also depends on how much uh, the chemicals, the levels of chemicals and bacteria in and on your skin, primarily lactic acid, uh, also how much CO2 you naturally emit. CO2 is a mosquito magnetizer. Um, The bacteria on our feet is a mosquito aphrodisiac. So there are various things in your genetic circuit board that unless you CRISPR yourself, you can't do much about um, that attract mosquitoes or don't attract mosquitoes. Um, wearing bright colors is not a good idea. She hunts by both smell, meaning carbon dioxide, and sight, bright colors. And I'm sure a lot of listeners won't want to hear this, and we don't know the reason yet, but she has an affinity for beer drinkers. Sorry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Rude. That's just rude. <laughs> the takeaway is wash your feet. The takeaway is yeah, wash be your feet. Stinky wash your feet every- and drink water. Yeah, <laughs> wash your feet, but be stinky everywhere else. All right. Okay. Well, great. Well, we're already coming to the end of our time with you today. David, do you have any more questions for Dr. No, Weingard? No, I give congratulations, and thank you for being here with us. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And again, Tim Weingard's book, um, The Mosquito, A Human History of Our Deadliest Predator, is out now. Um, don't go anywhere, because we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with CMU head football coach, Russ Martin. Welcome back to CMU Now, a monthly show where we talk about the remarkable things happening at Colorado Mesa University and Western Colorado Community College. We'd like to welcome our third guest today, CMU head football coach, Russ Martin. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. I'll tell you, those other two guys are a tough act to follow. (laughs) Man, I'm sitting here and I'm getting education and this (laughs) and all that. Oh, wasn't that fun? (laughs) It was. Coach, let's just dive right in. So, you know, 
if you don't know much about football and you just show up to the games on you know on a Saturday, you don't know what kind of preparation goes into a preseason. Just tell us a little bit about that so that people understand what goes in, all the hard work that your staff and your team put into to preseason. You know, in the preseason, our guys are basically, they're going from 7 in the morning, we get them up, they get to breakfast, they get over to the training room, we're on the field 8.45 till basically about 11.10, 11.15, uh, they get a quick break for lunch, and then they get training room as well in between, and then one fifteen, we're back in our special teams meetings, mm-hmm. we'll meet and or be in lifting and conditioning in the afternoon till 5.30, they're back over for dinner, and then basically 6.15, we're back for a team meeting, a little bit more installation and a walkthrough in the evening, so... Uh, it, they get some very long days right now prior to school starting, and we're in, a, we're in a, a time crunch because in most cases you get a week and a half, two weeks of preseason. Uh, this year we get one week before school starts, and so once we hit that point, we're on a 20-hour-a-week schedule uh, for our players. So uh, it is, it's pretty much all day right now for our guys. And it's not like it's exactly cool out there either right now while they're out there practicing in that upper 90-degree weather. You know, it does. And the heat becomes an issue and stuff. And so, uh, But it's also a standpoint that um, there have been a lot of rules that the NCAA has made that, that have really been for the mm-hmm. safety of the athletes. Mm-hmm. So really there's only one practice a day. Then there's a walkthrough, and then you have your lifting or your conditioning. So, uh, And there have to be a three-hour break in between there. Now you can have meetings, but it's mm-hmm. a true physical break. And, and so our guys have managed it very, very well. Great. And I'm sure this is going to be kind of a tricky question because there's a lot going to be happening in this upcoming season. And you've been with the team now. Is it, are you heading into your eighth year as a yes. coach here? Yep, okay. Eighth year. Um, so what are you most excited about for this year? What's kind of getting you jazzed up and really excited for this new season? You know, I think this year there's going to be a lot of new faces in our program, mm-hmm. uh, both because of graduation, because of a couple of other issues that have taken place. But what I'm really excited about is I think we have a great group of seniors for leadership, mm. and I think we've got great team chemistry already, and I think that's still a couple of the most important factors that there are if you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I would Co- agree with Coach, that. You, you mentioned team chemistry. I wanted to ask you something about that. Uh, you know, I've watched you and, and your team overcome challenges to get where you are today, and I have to believe that, that part of that is something about you and your philosophy how do you establish the culture that you've established, and how have you built this program, and how do you overcome challenges? You know, there, there have been a lot of different challenges that we face. Some of them are on the field, some are in the classroom, some of them are off the field. And a couple of them off the field have been very much character testers for our football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we go back five years ago, we had a young man in the program, Austin Warbington, that drowned in, in a uh, swimming accident and stuff. And uh, I, I, Austin was a young man that had great enthusiasm, great desire and love of the game of football and love of being a CMU math. Um, that it, we have used that example for our players to understand. You know what? To me, I believe they've been given God-given talent, but they've also developed that talent. And so they've got to understand that when you've been given a lot of things, well, then there's a lot of things expected. So one of the things we do expect, we expect our players to set a standard in the classroom. We want them to set a standard in the community with the character, with community service, and our players have bought into that. And so a lot of that is really just players buying in that the things that you're sharing are lifelong, they're life lessons. It's not just about X's and O's or wins and losses on a football field, but even much greater. Thankfully for us, those same characteristics are going to help make us successful on the field. Yeah. Thank you. 
Well, you are listening to CMU Now on KAFM Community Affairs, and our third guest today is CMU head football coach, Russ Martin. So that kind of leads perfectly into my next question of, you know, we are at the D2 level, and so I think for me that obviously there's a big difference between D2, D1, D3. And so what do you think kind of sets our program at CMU apart from other D2 programs or even just other football programs at other colleges and universities? Well, one thing in particular that I love about here is, number one, just the university itself, we actually – we have a phenomenal university, and I think one of the things that's maybe still too much of a secret is the quality of our academic programs. Mm-hmm. We've got some great programs at Colorado Mesa, and we've, we've got a great campus. Once young men and women come onto campus, they want to be here, and that also goes into the surrounding area as far as Grand Junction. And so I think that we have a great opportunity for young men and women to grow, to be able to enjoy life along with their, getting their college education. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the tradition of the CMU athletic programs, they, they're going to compete on not just conference, but even on national levels. Mm-hmm. And young men and women, they want to compete. They want to they raise their, their level. And so I think there's a lot of natural attraction to that. That's kind of what we emphasize with our players. We want young men that want to compete. They want to challenge themselves. But at the same time, understand you're here to be a person. You're here to be a student. You're going to grow in a lot of different ways. And I'm blessed to have some great coaches that believe and share the same things. That's amazing, the student and student-athlete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Coach, you know, you've developed a program where, where you've developed a, a big fan base and people that have started following individual players. The team is about more than an individual, but are there any you know, players returning that stand out in your mind that you're expecting a lot from on, on the field this year? And what should fans be excited about in terms of the quality of athletes that you're putting out on the, on the field? You know, this year I think there's going to probably be more names that they are not familiar with than they are because we've had some big names that graduated and have finished. <clears throat> These guys, we got a lot of no-name guys, so to speak, but I think they really understand what role they play as far as this football team. I think as the season goes on, you're going to have a lot more of them being identified as outstanding players. But I think the biggest thing is, is that, you know, as they go into each day, they really accept the responsibility and accountability, but they also they reach out to the community. We've, we've had our players involved. One of the things that I really love our players being involved with is the Challenger program here in Grand Junction. And the, to me, that's a perfect example of truly giving because there's no way those young men and women are going to be able to give back to our players, but it's a standpoint that, you know, once our players do that, they look forward to being involved in that, and they truly love that. And it's amazing how many relationships they develop with those kids. And at the same time, a lot of our players develop relationships in with those parents. And one of the things I really love as a coach is after the game, seeing some of those young men and women from the Challengers, from some of the elementary schools there with their parents, and they're hanging around our players, and our players are visiting with them. So to me, I want them to develop those relationships. And, um, you know, I'm going to take one more step because one of the things we're, we're, we're pushing even more and more you get it when we go in a classroom. We want them to be the ones sitting up front. And we want them to be proud of what they are and what they are doing and who they represent, but also then set an example in the classroom as well. So it, it's going to go into a lot of different things, but I think we've, we've had a great, great fan base here. And obviously, I think Grand Junction is a sports town. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. Well, we're already to the end of our time, so thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate it. And so I do believe your guys' season kicks off September 7th, and your first home game is the 14th? Am I yes, correct? the first two games are the 14th and 21st, 7 o'clock kickoffs, our opening games at South Dakota Mines. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming Looking on today, Coach. All right, David, and we're getting to the end of our time overall. So before we get out of here, I just kind of wanted to touch base with you. If there's anything else happening at CMU and WCCC that KFM listeners should be aware of or know that's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, Caitlin, there's a lot of things going on. But I I think one that 
is really important for the community is uh, taking the time uh, and giving the reverence deserved to honor Reverend Martin Luther King. Um, the anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech is coming up, I think, on August 28th, a lot of people know. And uh, we have a special guest. He's an international speaker, and, and uh, he's going to be in the Moss Performing Arts Center, uh, not only doing a rendition of I Have a Dream, but meeting with students and, and teaching and talking about uh, what Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, teachings meant to the country and to our world. So I think that's really exciting. I have you heard about that? Or are you going to come? Oh, yeah. Or? I've already okay. got. So it is. I know that tickets are free, but you do. We're asking people to reserve their space so that we know which kind of theater we need to be in. So, yep, I've already got my ticket and I'll be there. Great. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, do we have time for one more? Uh, let's see. Yep. We've got time for one quick great, more. Great. Because I was going <laughs> to throw it in there anyway if I could. You know, I think it's something exciting in the downtown area. Um, the Student Art Gallery, or the, art, the CMU Art Gallery, uh, 437 Co., is mm-hmm. uh, really growing leaps and bounds in terms of community awareness. And I think it's uh, from support from businesses downtown. And we were just able to, to announce uh, new partnerships, new underwriters uh, who are going to, I think, help bring the gallery to the next level. And so I think listeners are going to want to stay tuned for how CMU is helping uh, create a creative art district downtown mm-hmm. uh, and the role that we play just in the arts in general outside the campus boundaries. Yeah. And in conjunction yeah. with, I believe it was Taco Party, Carlson Vineyards, Canna Creek Brewing Company. So we've working with a lot of other downtown businesses to help, I think, make downtown even a better place to be. Yeah. Go. They're going to be underwriting uh, all of the exhibitions for the year. And it's something we're really excited about. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. This segment airs on the second Tuesday of each month on KAFM Community Radio. You can also listen to podcasts of today's show at kafmradio.org. I'm your host, Caitlin Birdsall, along with my co-host, David Ludlam. And we'll be back next month for another edition of CMU Now on the Community Affairs Hour.